Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right, let's go ahead and get started. It is exactly 10 o'clock, and I'm saying this specifically on the recording so that a certain elder will hear me say that it is 10 o'clock. Someone look at their watch and verify for me. Yes, Yes, it's 10 o'clock. All right. It's 10 o'clock, Elder. I'm getting started. Uh, And I'm going to be curious to see if he follows up with me about how timely we were. Could someone shut that door as well so that we don't interrupt the other Sunday school class that's going on? I was was saying that if we're going to, our class is specifically um, difficult to start on time because so many of you are dropping off your children. So if we want to start on time, then the Sunday school is a class for the kids needs to start at 9.55, and ours would start directly at 10 o'clock. But anyway, uh, the other solution to this problem is that I just go shorter. That's, that's asking a lot of an attorney. Uh, it reminds you we bill by the hour. We do not bill by the 50-minute increment, period. <clears throat> you have something to provide for us here? All right, making a delivery. All right, thank you. All right, well, here, I, I, uh, today's the Q&A. It's a little bit more informal of a class today because it's, it's Easter Sunday. I wasn't sure how many people would be here. I thought it was also appropriate that we kind of slow down and think through a few things. Uh, we've been through some weighty subjects in the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to give us a time to just sort of chat, ask a couple of questions maybe that have been burning for a while. If uh, some of you sent me your questions already, I've got a couple of those prepared. I also have a couple of questions that are in Ted Tripp's book that are sort of Q&A questions that... Uh, I didn't fit into last week's lesson, the last two weeks of lessons, but uh, this is your chance to ask questions. By the way, if you don't ask questions, this is when it gets very awkward. So if you want to, if you want to have a conversation, this is the time to do that. You may have had this burning question you're afraid to ask. Uh, there are no such things as dumb questions; only stupid people who ask them. So feel free to ask any question that you would like to to ask. Uh, part of what my job entails as a as what I do. I end up in front of a lot of people ask, answering questions. So I am not afraid to get your question. And I'm also not afraid to invent an answer to that question. So it's, it's perfectly fine to ask the question. I promise you I will not embarrass you for very long when you ask it. Uh, so feel free to ask, think of your questions right now. But before we get there, uh, Geneva sent me this lovely uh, email with a great story in it. And Geneva, I, I cannot do it justice better than you have already done. So I'm just going to read what you sent to me because it was so well done. So here's what Geneva sent to us. She said, Growing up, my father took on the painting contracting business in the mid-1970s. Mama, being the the family artist, took the sturdy paint mixing stick that Daddy had provided and created the Board of Education, (laughs) which then, one or the other, would definitely apply to the seat of learning. In those years, the paint sticks were much more sturdy and thicker than today's wood. That's coming from the old growth forest, no doubt. right? Uh, And Daddy sanded it smooth as smooth could be. That's just a lovely phrase. Mama took red and black paint, she's an excellent artist, and lettered various Bible references regarding obedience, foolishness, knowledge, wisdom, etc. Both sides of the stick were well covered. The instrument had a hole drilled and a leather cord tied through the hole so that it could be hung at eye level in the hall closet. Was it your eye level or the parents' eye level? Your eye level, okay. The instrument, uh, uh, let's see, uh, when it became necessary, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, hung in the hall cloth, when we vacuumed or changed our sheets or bath towels, there it was to remind us to live in wisdom and obedience. When it became necessary for either parent to operate the board of education, the offending child was sent down the hall to remove it from its place in the closet. You had to retrieve the board of education? <laughs> Whew. Uh, to remove it from its place in the closet and to carry it to the appropriate bedroom and there to contemplate the verses and words until the final judgment fell. (laughs) It was, as Jeremy said last week, the rules of the house were clear and unmistakable. The punishment was cool and collected, and they sat with us until all was calm again. The old worn board finally cracked when my brother was a teen and had pushed Mama too far. I, I remember her telling him not to laugh, that she had to punish him. You're going to get that when you drive home today. That's, that's funny. Uh, she knew that there would be no sting because of her weak hand and arm, but she desperately had to make the point of continued obedience, even with growing age. He was smirking when she left his room. He was smirking when she left his room and obediently did not laugh. But the Board of Education had gasped out its last weak, earnest smack. From then on, the offender would receive long, long lectures after Daddy got home from work. But since he was terribly busy, he had to follow him... 
uh, around as he talked. Everyone in the house benefited from those lectures, but and but it was much better than uh, it was a much better thing to stay far far away from any trouble. Uh, and then she added a couple of different family quotes. Uh, this one is Neva Salser. So is this your mother? Neva, yeah. Uh, obedience is not obedience unless it is immediate and complete. That is, this is why I tell you to find the gray hairs. That's great uh, wisdom right there. And then this from Geneva, we study to gain knowledge. We use knowledge to gain wisdom. We use wisdom to live. That's a really lovely thing. We study to gain knowledge. We use knowledge to gain wisdom. We use wisdom to live. Ever with the Board of Education hanging over us as the Sword of Damocles, perhaps. But uh, yes, lovely story, Geneva. Thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, I, let me give an aside to my wife. My mother just texted asking if we have a live stream for the service. Could you text her back if we? It, I don't even know if we do or not, but I can't respond to my mother and do this at the same time. So, <clears throat> anyhow, there you are. My parents are still stranded away from their home in Florida. They're still in Georgia. They've been displaced since the hurricane last year, so it's been a thing. Anyhow, okay, well, uh, to get us into this Q&A period, I thought we'd give a quick review. Last week, we talked about discipline. Before that, we talked about sort of the foundation stone of that. But we talked about a few things. Number one, the promise of discipline, then the goal of discipline, as well as applying the routine of discipline. And in the promise of discipline, we talked about how the Council of Scripture uh, says that uh, God-directed, God-dependent discipline of our children, administered lovingly and faithfully, produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's our goal, right? We want to have that peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the promise of our discipline. Uh, that's the promise of Scripture, is if we discipline our children, we will produce in them the peaceful, righteous fruit that God has promised in our Scriptures. That's what we're after when it comes to discipline with our children. Uh, the goal of that discipline, to achieve that promise, the goal is, especially in the early stages of parenting, is to secure obedience. And we want to secure that obedience through clear directives consistently applied and reinforced through our discipline. So that's the goal. That's what is going to lead us to uh, it, to help achieve that promise of gaining the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Uh, the goal of discipline is to have uh, clear directives consistently applied and reinforced through discipline, including physical discipline, when we, we must apply that as well. And then we talked about the routine, and we talked about uh, three discrete elements of the routine of discipline, uh, you, it, it, at least as to when we turn to physical discipline, right? There are many forms of discipline, but when we have to get into physical discipline, there are three uh, elements that have to be satisfied. Number one, you have issued a clear, consistent directive. You know, it's, it's impossible to hold someone accountable if they can't understand or you've been inconsistent in your application of those directives. And number two, your child has heard and has the ability to understand that. Again, you can't quite hold someone accountable if they're unable to uh, uh, understand your uh, directives or that they've just simply not been able to hear it. And number three, your child has failed to obey without challenge, excuse, or delay. Or as Neva Salser had said to us, obedience is not obedience unless it is immediate and complete. So a good reminder to us all. Then we laid down two ground rules. One was that you, have to, um, you don't apply your physical discipline in anger. Uh, we want to have our discipline issued uh, as close to proximity of the offending offense as we can. Offending offense, that's redundant, but you get what I mean. Uh, but we don't want to do so in anger. So if this is something that is, is leading to the sort of angry moment, then you need to back away from that for a minute until that cloud of anger dissipates. And what I said in that time was it is better to allow uh, your children to dread the coming discipline than to receive the unloving discipline of a parent who has lost his or her temper. So it's very important for us to separate those two things and to remind ourselves that when we're applying our discipline, we are still bound by our responsibilities with the scriptures, especially when we learned in Ephesians that our duty is to discipline our children or their obedience is due to us when it is done in the Lord. So our actions are supposed to be in obedience to our authority, our authority being Christ and the authority that has been given to us as parents. So if your parenting escapes that restraint of parenting in the Lord, then you're the one that's rebelling. You need to take the time to seek the forgiveness yourself. Calm yourself down before you apply the, the, the discipline to your child. That's ground rule number one. Second ground rule was that your discipline should account for your child's dignity as a person. We're not trying to make an example out of our children. We're not trying to be punitive for the sake of being punitive. We are accounting for their dignity. Uh, we're, we're, we're making sure uh, uh, that we're... Um, 
seeking that peaceful fruit of righteousness in the heart of our children and, and not something else that is outside of that. So if we've met those two ground rules of uh, dignity as well as done not in anger or done in patience and calm, how did uh, Geneva put it in her story here that it was coolly collected and, and applied? You know, that's the kind of thing we're looking for here. That's when it's time to engage in our physical discipline. So that's the sort of overview of that. And there's a lot more, of course. We've been at this for about, well, this is week number 10 that we've been doing this class. So all of the things that we've talked about since the beginning of that, is this recording? I'm making sure. Yeah, it looks like, okay. Uh, are still applying in all of our elements here. It's not just the physical discipline. There's a whole lot that's going on within our discipline. But I know this gets the most attention because it's the most controversial. It's also the most, well, most impactful, right? So anyway, let's get into some of the questions. Uh, uh, Rachel, you were first in time to get me a question this past week. Uh, Monday morning, I woke up to a message from, from Rachel. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, that people are still thinking about things the next day after these lessons. That's gratifying to any teacher. But that this question was on your mind was very helpful. And I'm happy to give you time to like build out on this whole thing. She actually sent me two questions. Um, the second one, uh, we're going to get into later, uh, but I'll, I'll address some of it here as we get into it uh, this morning as well. But the first one was... Uh, and I'm summarizing this from your message, but sometimes the discipline doesn't produce that sweet moment we talked about. You'll remember that we went through the whole list of the routine of uh, making sure the child understood what has happened, identifying with them, as making them identify what has actually happened, having them speak that out, uh, applying the discipline, and then helping them to seek the forgiveness and all the things that go on with that. Well, sometimes it doesn't produce that little sweet moment that uh, we might call when the child breaks, when they realize their sin their, um, their, their fighting over that issue has kind of broken, and they understand it. In fact, it's even worse than that at times, and I think this is true for a lot of our kids, they, especially if they've grown up in the church. They know the words to say that make you think, you know, they've understood it. But we also are wise enough parents to know that they don't really know it, right? Now, I just want you to pause. Did you see the five heads that were shaking, nodding, right, Rachel? That's, Rachel's sitting in the back, so she just saw... Four different heads go, yep, that's true, that, that happened. In other words, you're not the only one that's dealing with this issue, all right? You and Zach are not alone on this point. This happens a lot. So what do you do, especially for a child who knows how to say all the right things, but you're not sure or not at least seeing that true repentance? That's the essence of the question, right? Did I get that about right, Rachel? Anything you want to add into that? Yeah. Uh, we all have had this child. Uh, number three for us is this child. Um, he knows the things to say, at least I think he knows the things to say. There was a specific period of his life, the majority of his life thus far, where you would say it, and it's like your words were literally bouncing off of his head. And he, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, now repeat to me what you just said. I don't know. <sighs> and here you are for another hour and a half trying to get him to understand this issue. Uh, so Ted Tripp asked this uh, version of this question in his Q&A as well, and he, and he labels it, what if nothing works? <laughs> I think that's a really helpful way to put that. What if nothing seems to work? His response is, there are two ways to look at this problem. He says, first, you need to assess whether there, there are some holes or inconsistencies in what you are doing. Secondly, you need to be prepared to be obedient to God, whether or not it seems to bear fruit immediately. Right? All right. So to break those two things down, right? Are, are we being consistent in what we're doing? Are there ways for them to be confused about how we're applying this, this discipline? And then also, it's really not an excuse, right? I mean, it, it may be that our kids won't get it immediately. And it may be that they have become accustomed to being uh, sort of disciplined by rote. They know what to say. They know the rhythms of these things. That doesn't excuse our responsibility to continue to apply that discipline. It would be ideal if all of our discipline took place in about 10 minutes. We could move on, we could see genuine repentance, and go on. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, but it doesn't excuse us from having to continually do that. With our, uh, our child on this point, it, it's taken nine years to get to that point. <laughs> I mean, genuinely. And I'm sorry to tell you it's going to take a better part of a decade to kind of get to this issue. But don't forget, parenting is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes time for us to get through these issues. But faithful, consistent application of these principles, and I'll add to that, faithful obedience to what God has called us to do as parents is going to yield a reward in the long term. We may not see that in the short term. And frankly, it's going to be so frustrating and so discouraging, but it's going to take time for us to unpack these things. There's other wisdom in this room besides Jeremy Dice here, right? So are, are any of the thought, you guys that shook your heads up and down, you've dealt with this. 
I'm Breck, I'm looking at you, Jenna, you did it too. Uh, you got, you, there's a bunch of you that did this. What, any, any other words of wisdom you'd like to throw into this mix? I don't need just them, but anybody else? Yeah, Breck. It reminds me of, you know, how many times for myself or many others growing up, going to church, being part of youth group, being, you know, exposed to the gospel again and again and again. And if someone asks you, what is the gospel? You could, you could even give that answer, but until the Lord sovereignly does that work, it doesn't, there's no, you know, people's minds are not a Rubik's Cube, where if you just have the right words and the right arguments, it's going to unlock Unlock, it. yeah. So, it just has to be done, like you said, consistently and prayerfully in faith, and you just have to wait upon the Lord to open your child's mind to, to receive it. Yeah, and I'll add to that, that let's not also miss the incredible grace that God has given your child. He has chosen to put your children inside of your home that is inside of a faith community that hears regularly the scriptures open to them at your dinner table, at the Sunday school, in your classroom. You have given them a, or God has given them a tremendous amount of grace to grow up in a Christian home, something that not all of us have had the chance to do. Uh, But your child has seen that day in and day out. There is a promise in Scripture that tells us that as we articulate those principles of Scripture, they do not return void. Those are not empty things for our kids. And so it may not be today that we see the growth of that. It may be we reap that harvest later on. But that is a wonderful mercy that God has given to us with our kids. They're just The fact that they're in a Christian home is an enormous mercy and, and grace to your kids. One or two others have a thought on that, Bailey? To go along with that. We're studying eggs this week for some reason. It doesn't matter. And that yolk is there for when it's supposed to be fertilized. And if it's not, then it's just there. But I try to think of it as I am packing that yolk for my kid for whenever the Lord fertilizes my child's soul. And it becomes a new creation. Yeah. And so it feels just like anything else with housework. It feels futile. It feels repetitive. It feels frustrating but it's faithful plowing. And so as long as you're doing that, I have a hard time doing it. We do it by rope, but if you're doing it as a sacrifice, like I'm doing this for you, Christ, I'm doing this as a sacrifice, then that will be blessed regardless. Second of all, in terms of nothing is working, I won't tell you the person at this church. You can ask them later if you want. It's not my story to tell, but their child was seriously the worst until they hit like 13, 14 and they didn't even like their child for that long. And then something changed, the Lord did a work and now they're best friends. So, I mean, I always think of that. Like, I know their child and I know how awesome that child is and I just could never imagine them being the way she described. So we have examples in our church of people who have that fruition of their work. So, yeah. Well, if we had a way to summarize that up, it would be keep doing what you're doing. Keep the consistent, clear articulation of these things. It yields a faithful re- reward later on. So don't, don't grow weary in that. Uh, this stuff, as we, begin, we said begin, at the beginning, is not made for sissies. It's made for people who are really serious about this. Jeff? And also, I think Brother Cabrera indicated this a little bit. The, the state of your child's salvation matters, too. We raised two children. One was saved at a very early age. One never was, and just the difference in the way they obeyed us mm-hmm. was night and day. Uh, Jeffrey, he knew that as long as he was in our house, he was going to obey our rules, and he did. But you could tell he didn't like it. It was uh, he didn't delight to please us in any way. Where Simka was the exact opposite, and uh, once he got out of house, it was just those that uh, frustration and anger that was being held in the whole time he was living with us just went wild. And the difference is. You know, the, just the, the state of their souls. If you had known that was going to be the outcome in the end, would you have changed your parenting? Your responsibilities in parenting, I mean. I don't know what we could have done differently. Yeah, really. yeah I asked that. I, I knew that was going to be the answer. Good lawyers always know the answer to the question they, they ask. But uh, I, I asked it for, for a point, to drive a point. You know, it, we are not guaranteed the outcome of our kids. It would be lovely if we knew that if we did A, we put B equals C, you know, it would be wonderful that happened. But our children are not math equations. They just are not. One thing that our son said when he was about 10, he was contemplating salvation. He said, 
follow God. But there's a voice in my head that's telling you, don't do this. Mm. So what it is, is it is a spiritual battle. And we have to understand it's a spiritual battle. And it's not my battle. It's not Jeff's battle. It's God's battle. And so and it gives me peace in my son out there. Um, is it God has not lost this young man from his control? He's controlling him just as he controls the rivers of water, the kings of the earth. Mm. He knows what he's doing with this guy. And there I have to rest. We, we raised him in the word. We raised him to be a, a, a man who would work in society, provide himself a living. And that is our responsibility before God. We have to put these things out there. We have to feed them. We have to nourish them. We have to bring them along. And then we have to say, okay, Lord, we have done all that we as people can do. But this is your creation, and you're going to have to take this creation where you want it to go. And we have to live in peace with that when things go terribly wrong or live in joy with that when things go terribly right. Yeah. From our perspective. Because God knows what he's doing. That's right. If I could add one more thing. Please. If I could, one thing I would do is pray more. Mm. One thing I think I, I could have really done was pray more. The, the point is that we are faithful in our responsibilities, which include prayer. The ultimate outcome is, is God-dependent. It's not upon us. And, and we make a mistake when we put this upon our shoulders entirely. All right, so... There's just a preview of coming attractions that there's going to be at least one Sunday when I'm not here or we'll take the day off. I've asked Jeff to kind of wrap up the series or the day that I'm not here with a lesson on what happens if you do everything right and your kid still doesn't turn out the way you want it. That's that's the coming attraction with Jeff, and I think you can see why I've asked him to do that. There's there's great wisdom both from life experience as well as, well, we know Jeff's other wisdom that comes into play in this issue. So one last comment, I'll move on. In line with everything you've been saying, one thing that I try to always remember as a, as a parent, I try to have the mentality of Paul when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts. He tells them, I have not failed to give you the full counsel. And therefore, whatever happens, your blood is not on my hands. And so I think that's what I try to live by. I want to be able to look back and say, I did everything I could. I gave them the full counsel. And so whatever happens, their blood is not on my hands. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and that's the best we can do. Yeah. Well, and that may not satisfy fully the answer to the question, Rachel, but it, it is ultimately, the, I think, the right answer, right? It, it, we, we can't actually produce the response we want in the children. Ultimately, that's going to have to be the work of the Spirit in their heart to produce that. And, but we can be faithful in what we've been called to do. So there's no qualifier in Scripture that says, discipline your child, use the rod if necessary, but if they don't respond, then stop using it, right? That, that doesn't happen in Scripture. We're, we're required to just simply follow what God has commanded us to follow. The results are ultimately up to Him. Uh, we do know that if we try other methods that are not written by the Scriptures, they're not going to result in a great response either. All right, second question, which we'll just touch on, and then we'll move on quickly from, from Rachel again. What about getting in front of discipline, helping them prepare for situations they may encounter that may uh, tend to their temptation for disobedience? Uh, what does this kind of training look like at different stages? Is that, that the, I think that's the summary of the question, right? Uh, and I thought you put it well in your, your message that you're going to certain places where they may be tempted to, you know, maybe out of the reach of mom and dad immediately, and they want to play rough or disobey or do rules that they do things they wouldn't do, or they're overstimulated, and so their ability to obey is much more difficult. Uh, again, there's a lot of heads that would nod with all that. We all recognize that experience. And I thought you, what you said was good, that you know you take time to prepare them as they're going into those situations to know what they're going to be facing, but that the expectations are the same. Uh, I know we've done that as, as parents as well, to say we're going to this place. Uh, I can think of certain family members that we may be going to their house. They have different rules, but our rules don't change. It does, it's not home dependent. 
literally house dependent that their obedience is required. If they are transplanted to the moon with us, they still have to obey our rules, the rules that, that we've put down in front of them. So we had expectations and clear directives that we provided them, and so we, we're not going to change that. Uh, we spent last week really dealing with the, the first stages of parenting and, and physical discipline when that's the most effective uh, for some reason. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about uh, the next stages of, of kind of later childhood years and into the teen years after that. So that'll be at least next week, maybe maybe more. And then we'll spend a little extra time talking about training principles kind of generally. Uh, that'll get us into family worship and a few things like that. But that's kind of the essence of where we're at uh, on, on thinking through those things. So just kind of stay tuned is, is my answer. But I think the, the, the short answer is if we're parenting as we walk along the way, as we sit around the house, as we lie down and we get up again, then we're going to be doing a lot of training anyway. And it doesn't really change if the locus of that obedience moves from the kitchen table in our house to the kitchen table or game room in somebody else's house. The obedience is required in both places. So thanks for those questions, Rachel. Appreciate you guys taking the time. Notice that I was not the only one answering these questions. There is a great amount of wisdom in this room. God has put you guys in the community for a reason. Use, use those resources. All right, Chris and Desiree, you guys provided a, a lovely question as well. And this has really, um, this has touched me this, this last two days to think through this, this question. Thanks for sending it for us. Um, I'm going to read what you sent to me. It says, again, uh, there's a longer post here, but I'm going to kind of pick it up in the middle. Uh, to say we are utterly bewildered. If you guys are, are not familiar, one of their children is um, uh, able-bodied. The other one has, uh, is nonverbal, uh, autistically nonverbal, Okay. And so they said they're, they're utterly bewildered most of the time. Uh, and they say that, that, that would, to say that would be such an, an understatement. And I, I can appreciate why that would be. They don't know because she can't say what's going on in her life. That nonverbal is, is hard. We have a three-year-old, they say, uh, who does not have autism. And parenting and discipling her has been a cakewalk in comparison. Uh, I mentioned that one of the ground rules for physical discipline is being able to know that the child understands what you are asking him or her to do. They have no such assurance of such knowledge. Also, physical discipline has never produced the natural response in her, change, behavior, remorse, that we've seen in our other child who does not have autism. In fact, her body does not seem to translate pain in her brain in the same way it does for us. In short, we never know if her behavior is due to sensory problems, sickness, something hurting, disobedience, frustration from not being able to communicate. Uh, we know that she has to be just as bewildered as we are, or, or what exactly? The lack of confidence in knowing what is going on with her has caused us as parents great torment. Uh, we feel like failures most of the time, despite our greatest effort to try to understand. Not knowing if your child is acting out in rebellion or due to emotional, physical, neurological restraints is heartbreaking. So I guess our question is, do you have any insight or wisdom in how to dis discipline our daughter with nonverbal autism? Thank you for that question. And, and I, can, I can feel the hurt in that question a lot. And I think all of us can feel that as well. Um, I, I don't know that I have a lot of insight or wisdom because I, I haven't personally had to deal with this. But I, I can at least empathize with you guys a lot. Um, I, I, I did what I, I tell you guys not to do. I Googled an answer to this question. <laughs> and I actually found a really nice article about this. And I, I thought it was well, uh, well informed. And he pointed to a couple of things that I think we need to acknowledge as sort of precursors to this question, or the answer anyway. Uh, he pointed us to Exodus 4.11, where it says that the, then the Lord said to him, this is God talking to Moses through the burning bush. And Moses is upset about the fact that he's got an inability to speak well. He doesn't speak good, as my kid said one time. Um, and he's, he's saying, you know, send my brother Aaron. He talks better than I do. And God's rebuke to, to Moses was interesting. That, and it, it's, it's good for, 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 for Moses but this is a good reminder to us, and especially in this situation. He says, Then the Lord God said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh? And then in John 9, we talk about the man born blind. And this is the exchange there. He says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the, the kind of the foundation in response to that question that you guys ask is a reminder of what you already know, but we have to put our arms around you to, to remind you of this. Your daughter was not made as an accident. He was, she was formed precisely as God intended her to be formed, and she was given to you specifically 
praise God that he's given her to you. So let's remember the God of the universe ordained to deliver her to you into your care. And let's praise God for that. Maybe we would want the effects of the fall not to be present in these situations. But this has not escaped his attention. This has not escaped his notice. And he has positioned the two of you to be her parents. And I rejoice with you that that is the truth. All right. Further, she's put, uh, he's put you guys and your daughter inside of this community that you have a fellowship of a body right here to walk alongside of you with all these things. Uh, the fact that you'd be willing to be that open with this body, I think, says a tremendous amount about you two, and I thank you for it. And I, I hope all of us would take a cue from that. To get to the point of the question, though, I, I think it's very similar to the way I answered Rachel and Zach's question earlier as well. There's nothing in Scripture that qualifies God's command that we discipline our children. So we've got to start there. There's, there's no uh, spare the rod, spoil the child unless there's special needs. Right? That, that doesn't exist. Uh, we, we can't insist upon o- uh, obedience and qualify it based upon their physical limitations. Right? We still have a responsibility given to us by God to discipline our children. But now I do think there is a lot of wisdom that is required in how we exercise that discipline when it comes to those who are nonverbal, who are physically unable, whatever it might be. And so I think there, is, there are boundaries of what we are allowed and must do, but there is a lot of wisdom inside those boundaries about how we go about doing those things. Uh, and so I don't have a precise answer for you about how to exercise that wisdom but I think there's probably, without depending upon collectivism, there, there's wisdom in this room that we can suffer through with you on this. And, and I hope you'll, you'll seek some of that out here as well. And to be reminded that we are a body of believers and that God has ordained Cornerstone to be here and that Chris and Desiree, Desiree are a part of our body. They are attached to us. They're not just a member of our congregation. They are members of the body, capital B. And so when they hurt, we hurt. When they struggle, we struggle. And so it's up to us. This is not just, we've got a lovely deacon structure in this this body to organize the care for our members, but we're just here to organize the care. We're here to help you care for them. And so we now know of a need in this body that is unique in this body. Will you rise to meet that care? This is up to us as a body of believers to do that very thing. So I I think you have room in there to exercise discipline. One of the things I I mentioned in our our, uh, study of physical discipline is that the child has to know and understand the directives and be able to obey them. That's where you're going to have to figure out if, if she does. Does she understand them? Is she clearly acting in disobedience to those? We won't know. Uh, not fully, and, but maybe you will. I mean, you guys spend the time with her more than any of us do, so you know their nonverbal tics that signal, okay, something's clicking in there. So I, I, I just have to leave it sort of with your wisdom to figure that that out and apply that in measure correctly. Jeff? Yeah, one, one comment on that is we all go through this with our children to some degree because it's all, 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 all our children go through a phase where they don't understand. And our, our big, what we wrestled with with Jeffrey was when's the point where he understands discipline and we we saw the council of people of parents and some people said right away other people said wait for a year wait till they can talk so we wrestled with that how, how can they when do they have the intelligence to associate discipline with behavior and then be able to adjust their behavior based on that and what what triggered it for me was uh, Jeffrey was very small he was still being uh, fed with milk and he was throwing a temper tantrum uh, really you know, nasty, he was hungry, he wanted to now just that, you can tell your, when your kid's man, even at a young age, it was that kind of, you know, clenching fist, just screaming. And I brought out the, the milk towel to help feed him, the burp rag. Yeah. <laughs> when he saw that, he stopped crying. So I knew if he can associate that burp rag with feeding and adjust his behavior, then certainly he can learn that discipline is a reason for, uh, as a result of bad behavior. So I just started taking him when he threw those fits, and I had a little, little stick, and I just kind of tap him on the foot. Not, not hard, just enough to, to cause irritation. And uh, it never happened again. Two or three sessions of that, and he never got angry again. 
And now a lot of people are horrified that you spanked your kid that young. Well, but if it was appropriate to his age and his temperament, and it worked perfectly, but it was seeing that association between a, a physical response and a behavior that clued us in, okay, he's ready for this now. Yeah. And again, we're very gentle with them, didn't just know, spank him, it was very careful, again, according to his age and behavior, and it worked perfectly, it worked perfectly. It was the stick of education instead of the, yes. the board. Yeah, we, we don't want to yeah. bring a board in. Wouldn't, yeah, there, have you put at that point. It, different levels of responsiveness and ability are necessary. When our kids were very small and they would, it happened with slapping a lot, right? You grab the hand and say, no. They can understand no. And they, they will associate this no with I'm not supposed to do this anymore before long. So there are some behavioral modification things that have to occur. And the physical strain is part of it all. My kids also were slow to sometimes like get that I'm talking to them. And so the cobra move of grabbing the chin. <laughs> Listen to me, young man. Now, if I got to make that, that little most, that motion for my kids, they sort of, you know, tilt back a little bit all. Or I, you've heard me before saying the dad snap. Right, I had four kids somewhere in this building that just shivered a little bit because they heard the snap. Right, they, they, there are things that are done that that we know that work for our kids to get their attention, to wake them up, to hey, there's danger lurking in the valley of the shadow of death for you. Get back on the right path so that you may be, you know, in in peace and in, in developing those those areas of righteousness. So my my point is to to both of you. We're here to be a part of your community with you. We want to love on you with that. We don't have all the wisdom on this whole thing but we can at least be a commiserating shoulder for you. Um, there are some of those, some people who are much better at that than others. I, I've said a lot here, maybe, I think, I've said it in here. If someone is sick and infirm, they want Dan Truett beside their bed, not me. If they're stolen your horses and they need to go attack the village to get them back, you want me. That's where I'm gonna go out there and kill the other village and bring all the horses back. Uh, so I may not be the perfect person to commiserate with it. You want to talk to Jenny. She's a great person with those kinds of things. Me, I'm nicer than I let on, but I'm not very nice. Um, thank you for sharing that. Any, any other thoughts before we move on to that? Russ, you talk a lot, Brett. I would just say that, um, you know, I think you made a good point of recognizing the body of crisis around us. And, um, you know, there, there's connections that we have within the body that the Lord uh, you know, makes a parent, and so, like, um, I would encourage you guys, you know, Susan already loves spending time with, uh, you know, with, with your child, and so, um, don't, uh, don't hesitate to, like, don't feel like you're a bother, you know, to be able to reach out, because I think sometimes that's a limiter of, like, we're afraid, in our society, we're so individualistic, I just need to pull myself up by my, my bootstraps and figure this out. But again, we have the body of Christ to edify and build us, you know, us up. And, um, you know, I just thinking about our kids are a little bit further along, obviously different situations, but um, there's there's wisdom there that, uh, that others can if not even wisdom relief I mean we recognize that it is a lot to carry and we can shoulder some of that burden alongside of you and we're, we're supposed to do that very thing uh, it may not take a village but it does take a church uh, so thank you for sharing that with us and for allowing us to kind of think through that all right those are the two prepared questions I've got other kind of time filler questions for the next 12 minutes or so or unless uh, some elder bursts through the door and tells me to stop um, but are there other questions from the floor that you're, you're willing to ask? They don't have to be this serious, by the way. They can be much more mundane if you have them. It's got to be the question from Chris and Desiree. It's got to be thinking, as well as actually the second question from Rachel, which is there is the directive in the New Testament, right, not to promote your children to anger. Yeah. You know, just thinking about how important it is to know the limitations of your kid because there's been several times where like out late at night the kids are falling apart and now I'm starting to discipline them and I'm like wait like I'm asking way more of them than they can handle yeah I shouldn't be doing this right I should get them home and get them to bed so I guess is there like how, how do we as parents I guess that I, this is supposed to be a question it's a statement I guess but I guess how do we like know them and make sure that we're not pushing them past their limits and turning something into a discipline issue that's really on us to not be doing that to them? Yeah. 
I go to a lot of conferences where they allow people to ask questions of the panel that are oftentimes declarative statements with a question mark at the end. <laughs> so I'm prepared for that. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think the I think you've answered your question as you, as you're you're asking it, which is to say that it's really on us. So like, those are the unclear directives that are not exactly marbled or uh, mumbled statements as much as we put them in. We set them up for failure, and we cannot set our kids up for failure and expect them to obey completely. And so it may mean that we've got to cut this evening short because. Johnny's gotten, uh, I keep using Johnny, and I don't want you to think it's my Johnny. Uh, we, we, little Sally has gotten really out of sorts by being out past her bedtime or being hopped up on sugar that she doesn't normally have, right? So we can't have that full expectation of obedience if we've set them up to fail in the first place. And so providing for them and sort of putting those boundaries out there so that they're able to be successful in that, and then they may not always be successful in that. And so it may require us to say, we've had a lovely evening at the house. We've got to go back now because this one's just gotten completely out of sorts. Or maybe, you know, we know something's coming up in a couple of days and we let our kids stay up till 11 o'clock at night each night. What do you think is going to happen when they go to the special place? It's going to be a disaster, right? So there's pre-planning on these things. And most of these things can be accounted for fairly early on so that they're, we're at least putting them in the best position for obedience. But even in the best of circumstances, we're still going to find times when that obedience will just be lacking and it'll be missed. And so we've got to be able to pull out and say, okay, we're, we're not in a spot where these kids can actually obey. Let's take them home, get them put together. Uh, what was that we, we always talked about at the kid, especially at the infant stage, you're trying to meet all their needs. They've got a clean diaper, they've been fed, they've been rested. You've accounted for those three things. They're pretty much in the position of being able to obey. But sometimes one of those things, fall, things falls through the crack. They soil themselves, they don't get enough food, they haven't had enough sleep, and it's hard to obey. It'd be hard for us to obey, by the way, if you did any one of those three things. I, I think it'd be hard. Yeah. It'd be quite embarrassing, too, if you soiled yourself right here. And same for the teacher if that happened in the middle of asking these questions. But no, it, it's important for us to have them set up as much as we can for success. It may not always happen, but we've got to be... Helpful in that. A good part of that is uh, Elijah, and, uh, Elijah at Mount Carmel after he uh, and Jezebel came after him. He you know, turned from the Lord and said, "Lord, you're against me." And all. And all. First thing the Lord did was he fed him hmm. and gave him water because he knew that his state of mind had to be profitable. I thought you can talk about Elisha and the kids yelling at him and calling him all bald head, all bald head. <laughs> we we will call out the she bears if we have to. So, great question. Rick. Well, and, and to what he's saying, too, I, I try to make it kind of a, a standing order that if it's late at night, especially right before bedtime, and all of a sudden there's like a huge, you know, something blew up amongst them, we try to keep it short and sweet mm -hmm. and not one of the long, drawn-out discipline sessions because they're just not in the right state of mind for that. And sleep does wonders. Right? I mean, even even with us, sometimes it's like you know what? We need to just go to bed. Tomorrow's a new day. And yeah. So. Amen and amen. By the way, that becomes much more important as they become in the teen years and they want to ration and debate and discuss and question and debate again and discuss and ration. Oh gracious! That why are the hard questions always at 10:30 at night when you have not had enough sleep? you have not had enough sleep and that child has not had enough sleep either one of those is a recipe for disaster sometimes just calling a timeout saying let's pick this up again in the morning is the only thing you possibly can do because the child may at that point um, see the first part of discipline making sure you're not doing so in anger right it doesn't change when you get to the point of discussing non -ver or verbally with them on these things rachel you had your hand up Also able to teach in those moments as as crazy as it may sound of what later on is going to make for success for you in obedience right your self-control is dependent upon a lot of things including your ability to have enough sleep 
So our, our kids have had a, a problem with staying up too late in their rooms reading. How do you punish them for reading the Bible till midnight, right? I mean, they wake up the next morning and they're scowling and angry and all these things. Did you get enough sleep last night? No, I was up till one in the morning reading. Well, I'm glad you're reading. That's a great practice for us to have, but you've set yourself up for failure today. Now your, um, your responsibilities have not changed. You still are required to obey, uh, but you're going to have a harder time today. And so now remember that next, tomorrow night when you want to stay up late doing whatever it is you want to do, you're, gonna, you're not going to be set up for self, uh, self-discipline if you do that kind of thing. Geneva, do you have a uh, comment? doing this when you're 20, 25, and is that going to be acceptable behavior? And that would always make me think, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I can't just hit my sister because I'm angry. I can't hit my homework because I'm angry at 25 or something. Can't do it to your, your spouse, right? I mean, that, that we've used. Th- these are lessons of uh, these are lessons of wisdom and foolishness that we're teaching all the way through the, the parenting stages. So, Janet. On the whole, like not getting sleep will help you have uh, a So Jesse was like Mother's Day out age, and I kept telling him like chocolate makes it hard for you to obey. So a Mother's Day. Because really, there are certain people here that chocolate makes them better to obey. At least if you hold it out and promise for them. So I got a call from the Mother's Day out one day, and they're like, "Is Jesse allergic to chocolate?" I'm like, "No." I'm like, well, we got cupcakes today, and he refused because he said it makes it hard for him to obey. Like, yes. <laughs> but my so my question is. Kind of going back to Rachel's first question. I always go back to Jonah and the big fish. Like, he didn't obey. God put him in a timeout. And God did not move until Jonah moved, right? Until yeah. his heart was changed. So I've tried to, not perfectly, but try to follow that as best I can. But to Rachel's question, even after the discipline, there's no sweet But do you continue with the discipline, even if you can't get agreement with your child? Like, I don't think I disobeyed. Even when you clearly pointed out, do you just continue to leave them indefinitely? Or do you say, well, here's what I said. Here's what you did. I'm now enacting discipline. Yeah. No, I mean, our, our, our responsibilities to God and use of our authority as parents is not dependent upon the circumstances of our lives and upon the response of our children. We have a responsibility that God has outlined for us. If you want to argue with that, take it up not with Jeremy, but with the authority over top of us. And that's God's wisdom, not ours. And so we have a responsibility that we will answer for as parents. We have been given the, the talent of the parable as parents. We can bury that in the field because we fear a master who is going to give a strong response to us. Or we can sow it and apply it and hopefully get a return on it. Maybe it'll be two, twofold or tenfold or whatever it might be. But our responsibilities don't change depending upon the response of our child. There are, we hope for a good response. We hope for those sweet moments in our lives, in their lives. But we may not get them. But that doesn't change what we do. Now, I may, we may have to evaluate, okay, is this, is this working how we're approaching this? Have, let's back the train up in our thought. All right, have we fed them? Are they clean? Are they uh, well-rested? Okay, we can make some adjustments in there. Um, are there other circumstances in life? Maybe they've got a neurological condition that we've got to account for. Maybe they've got an antsy pants that they've got to account for, right? Some of our kids have a motor that are way different than other kids in our, in our family. Some are very phlegmatic. Some are very much the other way. Uh, we've got to account for that and, and figure out how to parent that child. Uh, and what gets through to that kid may not get through to that kid. Uh, my second born, I can look at him crooked and he's going he's gonna to melt. 
right? My first one, it's going to be a process. I mean, it's going to be up for debate because I'm having to discipline myself. It's like a mirror image here. And this is my poor parents. I, I now appreciate and respect them a lot more. But the point is that our, our, response and our responsibility in parenting doesn't change depending upon the response of our kids. Now, there may be times, by the way, and this is an important point for us as well, and we probably have to close here because we're at that time, but uh, we'll need to check ourselves on this as well. Are, are we, have we failed step one? Are we doing this in anger? Or have, we, have we somehow set ourselves up for failure? Are, are we actually exercising that authority that we've been given correctly? Are we demanding obedience in the Lord? Are we parenting in the Lord? And if we're not, and I'm not suggesting you are, are, are or not, but if, if we can humbly say and truthfully say that we have done all that we can, we've done that correctly in obedience to the Lord, uh, we've parented in the Lord in this circumstance, then, then obedience is required from our children. But we've got to be very honest in that evaluation of ourselves. If we've gone outside of that responsibility of, of, of parenting in the Lord, then our child is not responsible to obey us because we're outside. We're ultra viris, as we say in the law. We're outside the law. We're outside the rules. We're supposed to be doing our parenting in the Lord. That's the type of obedience that is uh, that they're supposed to be giving to us as well. Uh, so check that. And, and all of us require that at every level. And if we're parenting outside of in the Lord, then we're not doing it correctly. Let me uh, conclude with uh, a word of prayer. I'm going to base that off of Psalm 78. Uh, some of you who sat through my Psalms course here know that I like to pray the Psalms, and especially in certain circumstances. The Psalms provide us lots of lovely things for us to think through and to pray for our children with and to pray for ourselves with. Uh, our scriptures are given to us for that purpose, so we're going to use that as our guide today. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful to consider these questions. Parenting is not for sissies. It's a hard thing, and we are grateful that you have given to us the strength to be able to parent. You've told us in, in Psalm 78 that you established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children. This is not optional. Father, you've said it is a command. It is a command to fathers. And so I pray for the dads in this room today uh, that you would help us as dads to, to guide our families well, to care for our wives well, to encourage our children effectively, to teach them uh, that we would have and exercise our responsibility in teaching our children. Uh, this is not something that we can shirk from. This is not something that is checked in the box as optional. We are commanded by you to teach our children. So help us that. Help us to do that. Uh, what are we to teach? It says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Tell them the law that you have given to them. So, Father, help us as parents to teach the next generation that they may know you and arise and tell them to their children. And so for generations to know the law that you have set out for them so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep his commandments. And so, Father, that's where we want to leave it, that we would so well teach our children, that we would so parent them effectively, that they would with us set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And so, Father, provide us with this promise in our children. Realize it with us that they would have their hope in God, that they would not forget the works of God, but that they would rise, that they would grow old by keeping your commandments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.